Hello and welcome to The Will and Rob Show. My name is Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State, here with my very good friend, Robert Hassler, in the midst of just a gorgeous spring day in Washington, D.C., Outside my windows, I don't see a single cloud in the sky. I walked to Eastern Market for lunch with someone today, and it was beautiful. The The light was reflected, refracted through the trees to, you know, uh, speckled shadows. On <laughs> Look how artistic walkway. this is getting. Oh, beautiful. Loved it. Uh, so it's great. It's a great day. Um, as we speak right now, uh, I have open on my tablet next to me. Uh, YouTube that is live streaming the verdict that is soon to be announced um, in terms of the Derek Chauvin trials. What I want to do is kick it over to Robert and just see uh, what's your day been like. And is it beautiful out in Woodbridge? It is. It is. It's gorgeous out here in Woodbridge. I'm uh, as I'm recording, I'm looking out the window of my office and my son is playing golf in our little yard. Um, So he's definitely enjoying uh, the nice weather yesterday. No, I, I drove, on, I stepped on one of those clubs and dented it. And so I don't know if yeah, you did forgiven me, but, or if you've been able to repair it, I think he's, I think he's fine right now. We might have to have you buy a replacement set. We'll see. Okay. Um, Keep me posted. Uh, but yesterday I drove into the city and, uh, I was driving up rock Creek parkway. Also another gorgeous day yesterday. And, uh, one thing I always forget about until the springtime is just how, especially in the Northwest part of the city, how green it is and how like gorgeous the, the trees are and, you know, that whole Rock Creek park area. And um, I was just kind of reflecting as I was driving in my car, I was like, man, it is just a blessing to live in such a beautiful city as Washington, DC. It's just really nice. It is. It's a, it's a fantastic spring. I was talking to my pastor yesterday. He says, I love this city in late spring, early summer. And it, uh, I think all of spring, all the way through midsummer through perhaps June is just a phenomenal place. Good rest of the year too, but it's especially pleasant. I always think of everything as sort of from like cherry blossom festival leads up to in sort of normal, I should say normal DC times. Everything leads from Cherry Blossom Festival all the way through 4th of July because 4th of July is such a big deal. And it's always fun to go see fireworks and go to the go to the mall and all that kind of stuff. And then kind of after that, after sort of that buildup, it gets like really hot and humid and almost miserable in the Are city. Are you saying that you love celebrating a nationalistic zeal? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to say that anymore, I don't think. Yeah, but you can't like 4th of July, man. I'm afraid that you – I'm going to label you a Christian nationalist now because of, oh, gosh. of that holiday. Don't cancel me. We'll digress. We digress. Uh, so one of the things that Robert and I wanted to talk about today that I think is relevant in a number of ways, um, we are both, well, I listened to the recent R.C. Sproul biography that was put out by Stephen Nichols. Uh, I loved it. Uh, Robert has a copy and he has been reading it as well. And uh, it has been, uh, I think, enjoyable for him so far. But I have never read anything by R.C. Sproul. I heard about it my whole life. I've known that, wow. name, but I've never read the holiness of God. I've never read chosen by God. I'm sure that I've listened to some renewing your mind episodes growing up, like with driving with my mom or dad, mostly my mom, like listening to the, the Christian radio station when we drove around. Cause it would always be like Joni Erickson Tata uh, and, and a number of other people who wrote a blurb for the back of this book. You know, if, if there's one woman that I would just love to meet, I mean, she is up there as just someone that I have the greatest admiration for in terms of Christian courage and 
character and mm-hmm. just let's go on and on. But uh, in terms of R.C. Sproul, I loved the book. I was encouraged. I was uh, inspired. I was challenged. But I know that R.C. Sproul has meant a ton to you in your life and walk. And so to start, uh, I would love just a little bit of background from you for how R.C. Sproul has been so meaningful in your Christian walk. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love uh, this book. I'm only a few chapters in. Um, I have to mention, though, before we before I get into R.C. Sproul, uh, Will, you actually purchased this book for me as an early birthday gift. And it, it's been uh, just a wonderful uh, thing. Uh, and a, a huge treat, and I've been really thankful for it. I um, birthday. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, my relationship with R.C. Sproul is really sort of the first. He's really the first theologian. Is maybe like even too like um, specific of a term. Like he's sort of like the first like Christian author I remember reading, um, and I remember. Uh, R.C. Sproul because my mom got Table Talk for as long as I remember, which Table Talk is obviously the the famous uh, magazine, journal, whatever you want to call it, devotional series that comes out once a month by from Ligonier, uh, which uh, R.C. Sproul founded. Um, and sort of that was right as the time as I was getting into like sort of really into theology as like a lot of like middle school age boys do in sort of reformed churches. Um there were so many people, especially men, that my parents could have given me their book or my, my churches could have given me. And as I've looked at sort of how a lot of those stories from some of those guys have gone, I am just incredibly thankful that the person I was given was R.C. Sproul. Um, I think uh, reading Table Talk, there was all, immediately in my mind, there was a very strong sense that like knowing theology, knowing uh, doctrine is not meant to be a, a, a hammer or a cudgel, but is to lead us into worship. I think uh, Nichols, I think quotes Sproul at one point in the, on the biography as saying sort of the way R.C. Sproul imagined was that theology leads to doxology. And so I think at a time for a lot of young men that were kind of growing up in sort of their young, restless, reformed movement, if you want to call it that, um, theology was so you could go and own the atheists at your school or your local whatever. But for Table Talk and R.C. Sproul, theology was about leading, your, leading yourself and your family and your church into worship of the whole, like of the, of the holiness of, of God. And I think that's what was so important. One of the things that I picked up on, or I picked up on while listening to the book, and I want to buy a hard copy so that I can have it and flip through it because it, it is a very easy. Listen. It's just a beautiful book. I have to just say, we, we, we have to just say this real quick as, as uh, bibliophiles, like, like this new stuff that Crossway is doing with their books is just gorgeous. Gentle and Lowly is beautiful. The new Providence book by Piper is beautiful, beautifully bound and uh, great, uh, simple, uh, aesthetically pleasing cover. But one thing that I wasn't aware of with R.C. Sproul was just how influential that he was in so many different areas. You mentioned um, he made his way into the home. And so your mom got table talk and uh, would read that. And then but and, and then you mentioned the young restless reformed. And he also was very influential with them and young uh, Calvinists, um, being introduced to the reformed faith. Yes, for sure. And like, 
at a time when uh, the young restless reform movement was really about, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't want to say like um, uh, picking stuff out of context to sort of to use apologetically or, or even polemically. But I think our, but I think there was an element of that. I think what R.C. Sproul did such a good job of in sort of in his place in this whole thing was that he really wanted to connect uh, the laity to the richness of the Christian tradition in its entirety. So like, I think for a lot of people, they would have never read Calvin or Aquinas or Augustine um, or Knox uh, if it hadn't been for R.C. Sproul. He really took that stuff and made it accessible in a way for the laity where they didn't they didn't uh, use it so that they could go to their neighbors and sort of like beat them over the, the brow with it, but that they could actually reflect on what these great sort of leaders in the church thought about God and how does that influence how I think about God or how should it influence the way I think about God. Um, and I think that's what's so great about his teaching. So let's do this. I think one of the things that I was inspired by was just the number of areas that he influenced and um, had, had a, had a footprint in. And as we mentioned, it was to the regular laity. There was a, with, uh, like renewing your mind radio program that was really influential. Um, you also had though his academic studies, which included going over to the Netherlands and studying under one of the greatest, uh, reformed theologians of the 20th century, a guy named GC Burkauer who released a 17 or 18 volume systematic uh, studies and dogmatics, who uh, is in, incredible. I mean, just as thorough as you can get, he was and Burkauer was actually the only Protestant invited to Vatican two. So yeah. he was invited into Vatican two. So that shows the, the respect that this ha- man had internationally. And he, so Sproul studied him. So you have this incredibly, high-powered, intellectual, and we should say also, you, you'll find this out if you read the bio, he didn't know Dutch. When he was <laughs> and so he had Just crazy. It. It's crazy. Uh, and he had to learn it. So you have like this high-powered uh, thinker, then you also had just a real passion for the uh, everyday Christian. And on top of that, um, you have his love for sports. He's a, he was just an avid Steelers fan. He loved baseball and he would also preach and teach managers uh, biblical models for leadership on the floors of a, of a union of, of a union workforce. So you get just a very varied, um, a, a very varied and diverse man. Yeah. It, what, what's so interesting about his um, experience, especially his, his formative, his early informative years um, is that, you know, R.C. Sproul is basically this uh, blooming titan in in sort of Reformed theology in this in you know in the 20, 20th and twenty first century. But he's oh, he comes from almost all these humble roots, right? Like he doesn't go to sort of the most the most prestigious of universities. I mean, he studied under Burkauer for sure, and that's that's pretty insane and amazing. Um, but if you look at like you know, going to Westminster College, uh, you know, an hour north of Pittsburgh, you know, most people don't know 
many uh, uh, you know sort of famous church members who come from Westminster College, and then he goes to P- uh, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, which you know I guarantee you anybody who reads Sproul and grows up reading Sproul that's not on their top three seminary list. You know what I mean? Like that's just not where they want to go. Um, and uh, uh, then I-, I thought it was interesting. Like he basically takes sort of these you know relatively small. Uh, professorships at these different colleges. He's kind of making the rounds at all these little schools. He's never at like a major conservative or, you know, or Orthodox college or seminary. He's always sort of like the conservative Orthodox guy at these other sort of liberal, uh, almost sort of like disinterested colleges. Like some of the stories where he's like, yeah, I got a professorship back at, you know, Westminster college. It's like, did the people at Westminster like not care that, R.C. Sproul was like so different than all the rest of the professors or were they just sort of like, we need a professor and we got this young guy who's an alum. I just would like to know about those decisions. You know what I mean? Well, I think one of the things that's a takeaway from watching, reading about, listening to Sproul's life is that while he was incredibly brilliant and had an amazing memory and retention of theology, he found older men who were further along in the faith and made sure to put himself under them and be discipled by them. So John Gerstner is one of the people that he uh, deliberately sought out a relationship with and was discipled by and was able to grow up thin and have relationships in order to do effective ministry. And that's an idea that is um, really needed, I think, for for young Christians who are teenagers uh, and in college and seminary, especially that part of the advantage is the willingness to sit under people and say, Hey, let me just teach me what you know, and just let me carry your bags. I'll follow you. I just want to learn to do what you do and how you do it. That, and it, he did the same thing with, um, you know, he would sit and uh, have cookies with Cornelius Van Til and speak Dutch on his porch, uh, you know, love or hate Van Til and his presuppositional apologetics. Uh, that is a, a humble posture to take to be willing to learn from someone. And I think that's something that we can uh, need to remember as young uh, um, people in ministry of what, how, how to grow and be discipled moving forward. What's so interesting about the Van Til uh, little anecdote is that I think in the biography, they mentioned that R.C. Sproul was sort of like a, when he first became a Christian became sort of a dedicated presuppositionalist. And then it was actually Gerstner that basically tore that all away from him and that's when he really sort of adopted more of a classical apologist uh, mode. But the fact that, so knowing that, that he basically was a, a, a disciple of Van Til and then sort of like rejected it, but then was able to maintain a relationship with Van Til really kind of speaks to the, I think both the, the, the Christ likeness and the humility of both of those men. I mean, for somebody to say like, Hey, like, I, I think you're exactly right on this issue to then turn around and be like, Hey, actually, I think you're totally wrong but I still want to maintain a relationship with you, especially in that way is very almost unheard of today. Well, and and for people who don't know, there's a, there are different schools of apologetics in Christianity. You have evidence-based apologetics. You have classical apologetics, which is a two-step apologetics. Uh, and then you have presuppositional apologetics, which focuses on the presuppositions behind arguments uh, and then using that as as proof of God's existence, and 
let's just say the groups don't always get along, especially presuppositionals and classicalists. And you said, you said that R.C. Sproul was more of a classical apologist. This guy was maybe the most classical apologist in, especially in the reformed camp. I mean, most people are Vantillians in a lot of way. R.C. Sproul was an ardent classical apologist. For sure. Um, so for how strongly he was willing to defend that again, his, his charity towards um, other people. And I'm sure, sure he wasn't always that way. I, I would say that's one thing about the bio that I thought was lacking was that it wasn't quite hagiography at all, but uh, his faults were, um, were not mentioned, but that's an aside from the, the main point of we have this man with a very big spirit and loved people. You know, one thing, Robert, we've talked about before is um one thing I think someone like C.S. Lewis embodied so well was being in the highest echelons of the ivory tower and academia and being able to converse in the most complicated literary and philosophical uh, schools of thought, but also really loving the average English man in the pub and understanding him and appreciating him. Um, I think that's one thing as Christians, we, we need to have dexterity for and an ability to to not all of us can, none of us are C.S. Lewis. So we can't always do that, but an appreciation for both ends, especially for major church leaders. And I was encouraged and really felt uplifted in that. I think R.C. Sproul really embodied that very well. I think that he did a wonderful job of loving the average guy um, as well as he, the guy played golf with Alice Cooper, (laughs) exchanged letters with Carl Sagan. Yeah. So I wanted I wanted you to to talk more because I'm not at the point yet in the book about the the Alice Cooper thing. So I want to hear about I want you to sort of like tell that story. But um, to to your point about the average guy, I mean, I I just read the part where one of the first churches he was a student pastor at was essentially a 100 person Hungarian Presbyterian church uh, that was surrounded uh, on all sides uh, by a mostly Roman Catholic community. And he said he didn't think that the people in the pews really understood any difference between Presbyterianism and Catholicism, which sort of tells you something about the way that those congregants viewed religion and, and their faith. Um, and that the job came with, yeah, he had, a, he had sort of free housing attached to the church, uh, but his pay was uh, $40 a week and it included having to mow the yard. Like that was just sort of um, the, the way that he sort of came up in the ministry which is, I think, I don't know, from what I can tell, I mean, I'm, I'm not yet in the process of, you know, have gone through ordination and starting applying to, to pastorate roles um, at churches. But from what I can tell, like the expectations on pastors and what you're sort of coming into in ministry is not always that sort of, uh, let's just say, like, hum, you know, humble in, in many ways. Um, and so I think that there is to be something to be said about a, a pastor who had such brilliant intellectual gifts uh, and, and worked really hard at them, but, you know, basically sort of, uh, you know, cut his chops uh, in very small, humble churches that did not necessarily appreciate all those gifts. Well, and to stick in our tradition, I, what you're saying reminds me, Tim Keller started out in a, in a small church in West Virginia. And as Sproul is at that, congregation at one he got a phone call from a 
congregant and shows up at their house and this woman's brandishing a gun threatening to kill someone yeah exactly <laughs> he's like ma'am you don't want to shoot me <laughs> but those are those are golden stories right there if you survive them they're the ones you tell around the campfire for sure for sure so tell, tell i want to hear more about this this golfing with alice cooper did they talk any more about it so they didn't the the author doesn't share any details about the actual round of golf other than that they played golf and that alice cooper uh, who was a professing christian went to a ligonier conference that's just so insane <laughs> yeah. yeah and um i think with that is the reminder like i don't think if i came across someone like alice cooper i don't know how i would respond and that i i wouldn't know what to do uh but i think it again does speak to this man's um openness and willingness to talk to anybody about Jesus and wanting to build a relationship with anyone. And I think just loving people for people's sake. I think he just really, really loved people. Uh, And he has a very gruff Pittsburgh voice, but um, he really just enjoys knowing people and ministering to them. Yeah. You can, that really comes across in um, his sort of now famous, uh, infamous among uh, kids grow- who grew up in sort of uh, super Ligonier uh, influenced churches, um, all of his chalkboard teaching lessons. I mean, I went through those as a kid in, in Sunday school, like, I don't know how many years. And we just watched those all the time. But like one thing that those, those videos were so uh, cutting edge. And this is a, this is the next thing I want to talk about with, with RC Sproul and, and Ligonier and, and in general, um, he, he, the way that he related to people really came across in those videos because it was just, it was just as much about sort of the material of what's going on and what he's trying to just demonstrate on the chalkboard, even though you can't read anything because it's like horrible handwriting. Um, he's engaging with the audience and their questions and you could, there's almost like a a lesson in for ministers on how to teach in those videos of like, how do you engage with people's questions? His ability is sort of here, uh, maybe a not so perfectly formulated question and really get at the root of what that person's really asking is pretty incredible. And those videos, I mean, they, they, uh, they're made in, I don't know when eighties, eighties, nineties. I mean, they, up uh, they stand up today. Like they, I would be completely fine showing those in a church today. Um, they just, uh, uh, they age so well. Um, but I think that really gets to a point about RC Sproul that I think is really important and about Ligonier that I think doesn't get enough credit they were really good at adopting new technologies like they had a they had a real gift for sort of recognizing this stuff and how to best use it for the church you are speaking in the past tense about ligonier i would like for the audience to know that rc sproul has died ligonier does continue yes 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 i'm sorry this is not a yeah wow robert I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, they are. But, and they remain, they remain so today. Um, but like, you know, it's so funny. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was on this webinar. I won't mention the group or, or who was speaking. Um, but there was almost this like giddiness at the, at the prospect of uh, the shutdown orders because it would force churches to sort of lean into all these new technologies of podcasting and video and, and all these new uh, online media platforms and stuff. And, you know, the, the, 
the idea was sort of like, uh, you can implement this at your church. You just got to do it. And one thing I kind of struggle with that mentality is that there's people who misuse the new technologies and new platforms all the time. And we've seen ministries do that as well, you know, that are just not effective on some of these, these platforms because they just don't know how to do it. And it really speaks to the genius and the, the deafness of Ligonier that, you know, they, they produce to this day, some of the best quality when it comes to uh, written devotionals and written resources, podcasts, their social media. I mean, it's just their conferences. I mean, it is just top quatch, top notch quality. And I think that's a really testament to the sort of the way that RC Sproul balanced both this rootedness in the, the traditions of the church and wanting to, to teach that and express it, but also really knowing sort of what, uh, what era he was in and what his, what his calling was in that era. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that there was a, a, a great willingness to adopt and find what means are there available to disseminate this teaching and knowledge uh, and information out into the world uh, that is so important for Christians to know. Uh, you know, something uh, else, you know, we're, we're sitting here and I want to end with one thing um, that is his love and obsession in the best way with holiness. Um, that is what R.C. Sproul is known for. There, The book will pass the test of time. It will be the holiness of God. Even though I haven't read it, I'm familiar with the title and I know that so many people have. Um, and I will say, I think one of the reasons, Robert, why you and I are interested in talking about this and why we hope it's encouraging for other people and that they check out the bio is that as Christian men, we need saints who have gone before, and women, Christian men and women, you and I are we need Christians who have gone before us, who have lived faithfully as models and examples to, to live. Um, neither of us will be an RC Sproul in terms of what he accomplished and, and what he did and how his intellect and uh, just broad array of talents. But there are things we can be like, oh, I can, I can try that. Oh, I can do that. Okay, this is someone who made it faithfully. There's a, a light. There's a sense of carrying the fire forward of men who had followed men and women who follow Jesus before us and we seek to emulate and model them. And I think it's, it's such an encouragement to see that. And um, I, at least for me, that's why I really loved listening to the bio. Yeah. My, my favorite RC Sproul moment actually come, came. Um, I think it was, it was not very long uh, afterwards that he passed away. Um, but it, it was maybe one of his last Ligonier conferences. He was actually a me- attendee at and pr- participant in and, he was on a um, stage with, you know, just, you know, some nobody names like uh, Sinclair Ferguson and, you know, other sort of, you know, B-lister theologians. Um, but he, they were basically doing Q&A from the audience. I mean, like people were just writing in questions. I don't know who was moderating. It might have been like Stephen Nichols. I don't know. Um, but basically just moderating and just asking the questions to this panel, these, these panelists, and they were kind of taking turns at it, blah, blah. And, um, I think at at one point they get sort of like the third question on theodicy and, uh, they kind of all chuckle because it's like, we've just, you know, we've already addressed this question now, you know, two times we need to address it again. But every time the question was framed as, as we, as, uh, humans tend to do, the question was framed in such a way as, as to, um, 
how is how is the the origin of sin not God's fault? If God is sovereign, then why is there sin? Um, always we tend to frame that question in such a way that it kind of tries we try to put the blame on God or at least have Him share it with us. Um, and it's now a famous GIF. I see it on Twitter all the time. But R.C. Sproul basically turns. He's got his oxygen tube in, and he basically turns to the. Uh, he goes, "What's wrong with you people?" And like everyone kind of chuckles. And you kind of expect R.C. Sproul to like give a grin too, but he doesn't. You can tell he's actually frustrated. Um, and when you, you mentioned the holiness of God, that's, that's the R.C. Sproul that I remember. As somebody who, the holy, R.C. Sproul who had a great wit and a great humor, and he could joke about a lot of things. But like when it came to the holiness of God, you, like that was not something to be trifled with. And you, far be it from you or him or anybody to tr- ever try to put the, the, the burden of sin or the, the, the origin of sin or the guilt of sin on, uh, on the sovereign and holy God. That was, he was very clear about that. And as we really approach this, this era, this new era, I would say, of ministry, um, because in many ways, our era is going to be so different than what, you know, R.C. Sproul came out of. I think his, his um, just absolute uh, dedication to preaching the holiness of God is going to be something we're going to have to be extra careful to, to sort of do and to um, really car- carry that torch uh, in our ministries. Right. It was a, it was a point of singularity for him. It was the most important thing for the Christian to understand. It was the creator creature distinction. We are a sinful creature who was created by a perfectly holy creator who is all good, all loving, all powerful, and perfectly holy. And one of the biggest points of drama in the Pentateuch is after the tabernacle has been constructed at the end of Exodus and you have it constructed and then it ends, but no one can enter at this point. And that's why Leviticus comes in with the law, which Christ perfectly fulfilled. And so the great drama of human history of mankind is how do we as a sinful people even dream of standing before a holy God? And that captured R.C. Sproul's heart. And it didn't just capture his heart, though. It captured Jonathan Edwards' heart. It captured Martin Luther's heart and John Calvin's heart. It captured Thomas Aquinas. It captured St. Augustine, captured Paul. (laughs) there's a long line of holy men and women who sought after this, this reality, this truth. And it was the North star for us. And, you know, one thing that I love for, for RC Sproul and his ability to be his dexterity with so many different types of people in different areas, he was, there was no doubt where he stood or what he believed. And there was a clarity of vision there. There was a strength of character you know, I, I, for years, I've really appreciated Eugene Peterson. And one of his big things for teaching is being subversive. We need to be subversive. We need to turn things upside down and write the world. And with our preaching, we kind of get under and we subvert things. And I think there was probably a time for that. And there may be still some cases where that's standard. But I think in a world that is continuing to get us topsy-turvy uh, and not just upside down, but just spinning, Yes. Uh, like a, it's like a zero gravity chair at NASA where this thing is just, you got to get, you got to get straightened up, but you're just spinning in all kinds of different directions. And um, Christians, we're going to have to learn and figure out how do we, 
we want to be winsome, yes, but that that actually isn't as important as making sure that we know what is true and what is real and what God desires of us and then following that and then communicating that to people. Yes, in a winsome manner, but um, we talk about this offline, but uh, I, in a way we can be so concerned with being winsome um, that we, we, we kind of shy away from like, well, I don't want to offend people. Uh, no, of course not. I don't want to offend people with, with something that isn't of God, but if it is of God and it's said in a way that is loving, um, you know, but, but with that is the reality of something about R.C. Sproul's teaching and his, his focus uh, kind of puts steel down my spine in a way. And I think offers that for a lot of Christians of this singularity of focus and uh, putting an importance on what we believe and it will be completely different from anything offered by the world. Um, and it's what, what we most want. I think people also do want a, a, um, a clear statement from Christians on what is true and what is right. Um, and again, get that North star fixed of we are sinful creatures uh, seeking to uh, dwell with the Holy God. Um, and there's only one way that can happen. No, I think that's, that's perfectly said. I, I think, I don't know how I, else I could uh, improve on that. So that's, I think you're exactly right. I'm, I'm really looking forward to finishing the book. And I always knew when I came into ministry that RC Sproul would always be sort of one of the, the people that I leaned on. Um, but uh, that's sort of just been confirmed and reaffirmed uh, as I read and as we, as we gone through this conversation. So. Well, let's, we'll land the plane guys. Thank you all for listening. Check out the book uh, published by Crossway. Stephen J. Nichols wrote it. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or Westminster books or any other purchaser. <laughs> we're all, I don't know where all they sell it. I have no idea. Uh, but thanks for listening. Um, I'm here with Robert Hassler. My name is Will Stockdale. Uh, you can follow Robert on Hassler at RD Hassler. Go follow me on Twitter at Stockdale Will. And we look forward to being back with y'all next week. 